Dear listeners, I've been reflecting on the things I've told you and looking at the stories that are to come. I want to reassure you that I, I have sweetness and joy in my life, even though a lot of what I write and talk about, they can be a bit bleak. I don't find them depressing at all. I am, on the whole, not sad or melancholy. And I am not angry, either. Not anymore. Many of my stories sit in the underbelly. I am fascinated by these things. I think I'm constantly being misunderstood as being depressed. Maybe this is my anxiety playing tricks on me, but... My mom likes to tell me to not let anyone steal my joy. This comment and others like it make me think I'm misrepresenting myself. Sometimes I'm musing upon something not because it upsets me, but because I just need to think on it. I will be stuck on it until it clicks. Recently, I've decided not to tell people around me what I'm thinking about and why, because they seem... They seem concerned for me. I don't really have any uplifting or sunshiny stories to tell. My definition of uplifting resides within the cracks of the underbelly and the nameless. It is only when I can peer into those cracks and see the light that I gain strength and peace. Someone once compared the magnet and I to the stars and the sun. She said that I was looking at him as if he were stars, shining despite being surrounded by a dark, infinite abyss. She said that he was looking at me like I was the sun, shining and bringing an ethereal quotient of vitality to whatever I touched. My definition of happiness is sitting on a veranda on a warm summer's day with cool lemonade and good conversation. My definition of happiness is on the patio of a coffee shop with an iced latte and a magazine. My definition of happiness is curled under a blanket watching movies or playing cards with friends. My definition of happiness is a short dinner that turns into a long night under fairy lights. My definition of happiness is singing, dancing, walking, tasting, traveling, giggling, playing... Happiness moves. Happiness is in action. Those stories have been told. Those stories are abundant in my life because they're stories that I made and that I live within. I created those bits of happiness for myself, and my definition of happiness is being tucked into bed warm and untroubled by the underbelly. I did not create the underbelly. I did not create these immobile things that are stuck somewhere we don't like to think upon. I did not create what I write about, I just compiled them by themes and told you how they made me feel. Going back to what that woman said about the sun and stars, happiness for me is sitting in the sun or by a fire enveloped by warmth. But I like to gaze into the abyss and marvel at the pinpricks of light. If I am sailing through my life's waters and guided by my heart's compass, then let's extend the metaphor. Happiness are the dolphins and seagulls and radio calls to friends on their own ships. I've already alluded to the magnets in my compass, so, dear listeners, let's talk about the storms, the Bermuda Triangles, the Atlantises, the sirens. Let's take a look into the underbelly of the ship. Some things don't sit right with me. I think on them over and over, and the simplest conclusion is usually correct. We don't have to construct chaotic, tangled reasons for things. The simplest conclusion becomes a domino, creating a wave of chaos as it snowballs along. 
Sometimes that simplest conclusion is also the most outrageous, the most unbelievable. Sometimes we must let go of the bounds of reality in order to identify possibilities that lead to answers. Sometimes we must think like children and re-enter a world of infinite possibility and contemplate the malice of devils or the magnificence of God. Dear listeners, let us blur the line of reality. Because when you're at sea for so long, your eyes can play tricks on you as you look out onto the horizon. And before you know it, you're in the Bermuda Triangle. My mom likes to tell me to not let anyone steal my joy, because there are joy stealers. Some people call them energy vampires. Some people call them narcissists. I'm pretty sure I've survived a curse. I'm not talking about generational curses, although that is in play. I'm talking about the curses that fireside horror stories are made of. You can see what you want to in every situation, but what do they say? Once is chance, twice is coincidence, and the third time is a pattern? My lucky number is 17. The compass places this number in my path. It is a warning for things, good or bad, that are about to happen. I was born on the 17th. My parents were married on the 17th. Everyone has a lucky number, or a preference for a number, I think, but mine mine is a bit more than luck. If I see this number too much, especially in one place over an extended duration of time, it's like the compass is telling me to hold fast or jump in. It's taken me some time to distinguish between the two actions, but once is chance, twice is coincidence, and the third time is a pattern. But also the third time can be identified as enemy action. When I'm stuck in traffic, I play a license plate game. Like how many license plates have numbers that add up to be less than 30? Or what kind of funny acronym can I make out of the letters on those license plates? This is how I noticed that, when driving on a particular route, that all the numbers on the license plates around me had a 17. We all have areas we avoid driving in. Maybe it's always congested, maybe the intersections are annoying. I, for one, hate roundabouts that have traffic lights in inner and outer rings. I also avoid a specific intersection because of little annoyances that happen when I'm there. At this particular intersection, my car has broken down twice. I've woken up on the side of the road there. I've almost been robbed there, almost been kidnapped there. I had my first drink there. On Twitter, there's a consensus that this particular area is a bit cursed because odd things always happen there, and my stories really aren't the strangest occurrences that have happened there. It's like a small slice of the Bermuda Triangle on land, a place where compasses falter a little and true north deviates from compass north, a place that's just a little odd. So imagine my surprise when I started noticing my lucky number everywhere when driving through that space, literally everywhere, the license plates, the sports jerseys, the time of day, the prices of the merchandise. It was like the energy had shifted. All of a sudden, the energy had changed. The area is still a little off-kilter, it's still a little cursed, but now it seems like I'm meant to stand there in that space and contemplate it. Like I'm supposed to sit with that feeling and force my compass to still point straight. I have a hard time deciding what is and isn't normal. I'll get into why in the next entry, but for now just know this. When I get stuck on a thing and muse over it continuously... I'll repeat the same story to different groups of people. Work friends, close friends, social media friends, family members, 
These people rarely overlap. It's like a scientific survey, information gathering. I'm trying to find out if what I'm experiencing is normal. Since I was a little girl, I've had some abnormal experiences. My sister and I both agree that our childhood was offbeat compared to our peers, but this is neither good nor bad. I don't know how to describe the abnormality. Maybe I have some neurodivergence that allows me to experience things differently, but the things most people find funny, I don't find funny. The things most people find romantic, I don't find romantic. The things most people find terrifying, I don't find terrifying. I've been called out for this several times. That my sense of humor is a little off, my sense of romance is a little left of center, and my sense of terror is a little misaligned. So I conduct polls with different groups of people about my life. Is this normal? I said that I'd stopped mulling over things with other people because I realized, is this normal? Isn't the question I should have been asking. A friend once said to me, and he has very objective judgment, you know, you either have really amazing luck or terrible misfortune. It's funny how you're like that. It's not normal, is it? That stuck in my brain. He wasn't wrong, but it stuck. And I mulled it over. And so I started doing polls, but this time with anyone. My parents, my extended family, my friends, my colleagues, people I just met. And I put these good luck and bad luck things into piles. And then I realized. The curse started slow. It started small. Sitting near each other in middle school, talking about TV and books. It progressed into lunches, seeing movies, you know, wherever teens hang out on the weekends. It morphed into writing them into my friend fiction epic, into going over to each other's houses. It kept going in college. We went to concerts, messaged each other, hung out at coffee shops, you know, wherever college kids go on their time off. The outings became less frequent due to distance, and the contact turned into letters or cards. Handwritten notes saying happy birthday or congratulations. Normal things to give to your friends. The cards turned into small gifts like a Starbucks gift card or a new journal. The gifts turned into handmade objects. Handmade gifts with my face painstakingly sewn or drawn in. The handmade gifts turned into unexpected visits. Visits to my home. And then I realized how embedded the curse was into my life. My friends, my family, the books in my home, the gifts on my coffee table or walls. And it wasn't until I turned around and asked if certain events and things were normal. To people who had no stake in the matter. Losing your keys in the middle of the night wasn't normal. Passing out in parking lots wasn't normal. Finding welts on your feet wasn't normal. Receiving art pieces of your face wasn't normal. Having your roof cave in wasn't normal. Coughing up bits of black chunks wasn't normal. Being completely healthy in the morning and then needing a hospital by lunchtime wasn't normal. Having someone wait outside your home when they weren't invited wasn't normal. People creating situations where you are helpless and they're the only one who can get you out isn't normal. 
You could be broke or sick and they're your only salvation? That isn't normal. Once is chance, twice is coincidence, and three times is a pattern. But the third time can also be identified as enemy action. And so it was the simplest answer that was also the most incredulous one. That I had unknowingly been the energy for a vampire, that I had unknowingly been drained of my so-called good luck, and that I had unknowingly been cursed. And so I posited to three people, three people that were close to me who didn't know each other, but also did not know the reason for my questioning. I asked, how would you know? if you'd been cursed. They repeated the same patterns I saw back to me. And then I posited, do you see a common thread in these few instances that have happened in my life? They came to the same conclusion I did, because it wasn't normal. The curse started slow. We don't have to construct chaotic, tangled reasons for things. The simplest conclusion becomes a domino creating a wave of chaos as it snowballs along. It started with small niceties, earning trust, outings, and snowballed into gifts, trips, and the unexpected visits. It didn't occur to me even when I was abandoned on the side of the road and turned around and they were there. It didn't occur to me even when I'd passed out in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language and turned around and they were there. It didn't occur to me even when my diaries dripped with water, ink melting off the pages, and turned around, and they were there. It didn't occur to me then, but it occurred to me when, after searching through city block after city block in the night for my car keys that I somehow dropped, they commented, You really have bad luck, don't you? Every time we're together, something crazy happens. And I turned the corner and the keys were there sitting in plain sight on a table I'd never touched. It didn't occur to me until then that I didn't create this condition. This condition, it was like necrosis of the skin seeping into living tissue. I started cutting away at those pieces because what is a curse but a disease of the unseen flesh? That disease healed, but it still exists if I want to get reinfected. This was a Bermuda Triangle, a zone that always exists. Sometimes you're able to pass through without incident, other times you go through and lose hours or days of time. And it's only when you mention it casually that you realize there was something wrong, that it wasn't normal. Curses are different from magnets and gaslighting and the regular human bullshit interactions you deal with. Curses show up like black ink running from your nose and blisters on your feet and hands. Curses are the unseen, transcending into the real. Curses are the Bermuda Triangles in the ocean. It may or may not be real, it could just be coincidence, but when it is real, the evidence is so glaring that it shows up in the horror canon over and over. So no, what's terrifying to other people doesn't seem all that terrifying to me. Because a ghost has haunted my dreams, I've survived a curse, and I've had daylight hauntings. 
When my compass flashed the number 17 in the place I thought was cursed, I decided to trust the compass. I decided to hold fast and jump in at the same time. I decided to build a new life there within a place that challenges me to force my compass to point true, no matter what devils and curses exist in the corners. But whether it's purposeful or not, a curse is still a curse, and you have to break it. I wonder sometimes if generational curses are the same, if they seep in the same way in small little ways. I wonder what the beginnings look like. I wonder if the people who are in it even notice that they're in a loop, dealing with a condition that they never created. May 27th, 2016, 1.31 a.m. It's strange how you can repeat a story over and over to yourself countless times, repeat it to anyone who will listen over and over, and still look for answers in the details to questions you had when the story first started. You learn nothing new. You just get tired of talking. It's like picking at an old wound, never letting it heal, because you would rather pick and let it scar than forget you got hurt in the first place. There is something morbidly comforting in pain and allowing old wounds to become fresh again. Two thousand and fifteen, summertime. Dear listeners, this is not directly a diary. These are texts and messages I sent. You only need one side, my side. I think there's something wrong with me. After the museum the other day, I, I passed out. Yeah, I passed out like I literally got in the car and woke up by the shopping center on Highway eighty-five. I don't know. (laughs) LOL, what if I have narcolepsy? Oh, I was in the car with... Yeah, she was driving. Well, I hope she noticed. It's like an hour-long drive. We got food after the museum, and I legit don't remember anything after leaving the restaurant parking lot. No, no, it wasn't like the blackouts I had in high school. When I woke up in her car, I was so tired and out of breath, I felt like someone beat me up like I'd taken a punch in the stomach. Today? Well, today I'm okay, I guess. Do you realize that since summer vacation started, I've lost like 10 pounds? Well, I guess I'm eating. I mean, I eat food. Maybe it's not, you know, being on that screwed architecture schedule, lol. (laughs) I'm at like 110 pounds. That's insane. I haven't been 110 pounds since I was like 12. Yeah, I mean, it could be anxiety. I drive back the first week of August. I'm like not, I'm not looking forward to it. It's thesis year, no housing, all new students, back to working three jobs. Well, yeah, the museum was nice. Well, I'm concerned about the passing out, too, but maybe I was just really, really tired. But anyway, are you free this weekend? We should hang out before I leave. 2018. Summertime. Dear listeners, this is a memory. A memory that I'll never forget. I told her that her brother was sick. She looked at me with a sarcastic glare and said, Well, yeah, he's got a chronic condition. He's at his third appointment this week. 
I gestured to her brother's bedroom and said, No, this isn't the bedroom of a well person. I helped her flip the mattress. Bottles of vodka, bottles of gin, empty cans, empty glasses, a flask. All buried under newspapers, trinkets, and things. I wrinkled my nose at the smell. Yeah, he's an alcoholic, she said. I told her no, that her brother tried to steal from me to get money for pills, for weed, for alcohol, for sex. I said, softly, gently, firmly, Do you think he's an addict? She said the doctors didn't say so, that most people pick their poison. He rotated through every one, searching for a different high every time. I said, softly, gently, firmly, He needs help. He's dealing with mental pain. And she laughed. A laugh I know well because I make the same face when I'm laughing out of sadness and anger. She exclaimed, mental pain, like he's got a headache. I said, softly, gently, firmly, mental illness, this is the bedroom of someone who wants to dull something else. I felt it in her brother years ago, back when he couldn't breathe, back when all he could talk about was traveling, back when it was hitting him, that his chronic physical illnesses were worse than he thought. She said, these drugs are just a curse. She threw out the cans, poured out the bottles. I knew that with her, this conversation was just a losing battle. I walked out back to the garden and asked their father what he thought. He said, Her brother's too far gone. As far as I'm concerned, the curse has already killed him. He paused and sipped on some water. He turned to me, smile on his face. Won't you help me pick these tomatoes, darling? We got so many this year. I grabbed a bucket and started the harvest. When the bucket was full and the sun began to sleep, I turned to go inside. I didn't know that that was the last time I closed the garden gate.